What's up, everybody? Glad you decided to join me today as we finish up the rest of chapter 17 and unpack some important details to understanding this chapter and the book of Revelation. We now know that the symbolic woman or the metaphoric uh, woman here in chapter 17 is the harlot of Babylon, the mother of all false religions and idol worship. She is the essence of Babylon, an evil nature spawned from the devil himself you know, to corrupt God's creation. She is the mistress of Babylon the Great, which is symbolic of all false religions and pagan worship. They are the work of her hands. However, that comes to an end, as you will see here, when she is described riding the Scarlet Beast and will only be associated with him. We know the Scarlet Beast is the Antichrist described in chapter 13, but his description has some important details to unpack. So let's jump in and find out more about those details. We pick up with the rest of verse 6 and part of verse 8. And it says, When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw uh, once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and will go to its destruction. Okay, let's stop here for a second to clarify what the angel means by once was, now is not, and yet will come out of the abyss and go to its destruction. This is referring to the Antichrist's death and resurrection, which we know was not a true resurrection as Satan does not have that kind of power, but it will be made to look that way. This description is symbolic of the man who plays the role of the Antichrist and is guided by Satan in the beginning of the tribulation as he rises to power, but suffers a fatal wound, appearing dead, and then is empowered and healed by Satan. And then, of course, Satan will empower him, you know, and and possess him, so to speak. Uh, and he will rise as the beast. Okay, so before his death, we just refer to him as the Antichrist. But he becomes the beast whenever he is resurrected and Satan empowers him. Okay, so... What we have here is he appears to have once been alive, or he was once alive, then he appears to be dead, and then he uh, comes back to life, you know, and he comes out of the abyss and will go to destruction when Christ returns. So many will say that the phrase once was, now is not, and yet will come is, an, is none other than the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was the fourth empire that conquered Jerusalem uh, and extended into Babylon during the during this age of the Gentiles, you know, and it ceased to exist. And then it, there's what they're saying is that, you know, the Roman empire once was, and it just dissolved and, but it'll rise again under the, the reign of the antichrist. And, and everybody refers to it as the revived Roman empire, which will be the empire of the antichrist. You know, all that fits so, it seems so nicely, it fits so good, but there's just one problem. Verse 11 clarifies this whole passage and says that the beast, the one that, you know, that was and and is not and will come again, so to speak, that beast is the eighth king and he is going to his destruction. So there's seven kings, he is the eighth king. Uh, described and so if the beast is a king an actual person then when the angel said the beast which you saw once was now is not and yet will come out of the abyss and go to its destruction 
cannot be referring to the Roman Empire or the revived Roman Empire. Furthermore, we know that Revelation 13 tells us that the beast came out of the abyss. And we know that the beast went you know, on and goes on to rule the world during that last half of the tribulation period. You know, then here in chapter 17, John says that the beast will come out of the abyss. Again, it makes that same reference, come out of the abyss and go to its destruction. This reference to the abyss connects it with the description in chapter 13. And we know that the beast or Antichrist will go to his destruction when Jesus returns and throws him and the false prophet into hell or the lake of burning sulfur, while the devil is thrown into the abyss and chained up for a thousand years. That means that the reference is most likely referring to the Antichrist in the first half of tribulation, his death, or so it seems, and his resurrection when he is healed and empowered by Satan himself, in which he becomes the beast, which just refers to this, you know, the term beast in, in the Greek just refers to the savage and vicious nature of the Antichrist. Once Satan takes control and he becomes, you know, and empowers him, he, he becomes the beast. So he is the same person, but in a sense, but now he's way, he's not, he's not that smooth talk or the, you know, smart, charismatic, you know, uh, politician, so to speak, or, or statesman. But when he is resurrected, you know, and empowered by Satan, he, he no longer has that smooth talk or charismatic, um, uh, you know, statesman-like attitude where he can just win people over and he's just, he's so, uh, he's just so smooth with how he deals with people. But instead what happens is when he is resurrected and becomes the beast, he becomes a savage, vicious person who will bring the world to its knees under his ruthless rule. Okay. Now that I have adequately adequately ran down that rabbit hole, let's continue with the rest of verse 8. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book or of life uh, from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This just serves to confirm the previous rabbit hole that we went down. Uh, you know, And everyone who is not saved, who has who doesn't have their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will be astonished and amazed at the appearance of the Antichrist's uh, death and resurrection. Um, now, here comes the fun part, verse 9 through 10. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come, but when he comes... He must remain for only a little while. Okay, now we have the explanation of the seven heads on the beast. So, to the notion that the seven hills are referring to Rome because it sits on seven hills, therefore the capital and the seat of power for the, for the beast must be Rome, it is completely discredited by, the ten, by verse 10, which says that the seven hills are also seven kings. So the angel plainly states that the seven heads are seven hills, which are in fact seven kings, but not just any kings. These seven hills or mountains rise above the others, just as a mountain rises above its surrounding area. So an unrighteous king or ruler exalts himself above his subjects. These kings are more powerful than other rulers. Uh, 
they describe them as hills or mountains to indicate the nature of their power and rule. So who are these seven kings? Five of which have fallen, one is, and the other is yet to come for only a little while. Well, you might easily pick out the seventh king as the Antichrist, but what about the other sixth? The other six and the the one that I mentioned earlier, the eighth king. For that, we must remember our study of the Gentile age and the empires that Daniel describes that will subjugate Israel and the Jewish people. It is important to remember that we must zoom out when we are looking at the seven-year period of tribulation from time to time because it is, in fact, it's only the last seven years of the Gentile age and, and you know, the time of subjugation for, for Israel you know, what started with Babylon and, you know, and King Nebuchadnezzar runs all the way to the return of Christ. Therefore, we cannot look at what John writes and try to confine it to only the last seven years of the 77s that Daniel described. So it is a much bigger picture. That being said, the seven kings ruled over Jerusalem, that ruled over Jerusalem and Babylon. And, you know, what they began with the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. The second king was the Persian king Cyrus. The third was the Greek ruler Alexander the Great. The fourth and fifth also came out of the Greek empire when it split and dissolved into four parts. And when Greece dissolved into those four parts, just as Daniel wrote, initially the Seleucid, and I hope I said that correct, uh, the Seleucid empire retained control over uh, Babylon while the uh, Ptolemaic, Ptolemaic, I guess, kingdom controlled Jerusalem. Uh, then it, uh, then in 200 246 BC, um, Ptolemy III attacked the Seleucid Empire and temporarily achieved control over both Babylon and Jerusalem, making it the fourth, making him the fourth king of the seven. Later in 170 BC, Antiochus uh, Epiphanes the fourth of the Seleucid Empire attacked the Ptolemaic kingdom and gained control over both, uh, making him the fifth king. Those are the ones that have fallen at the time John is writing this book. Now for the sixth, the sixth king, the one who is, as in the one who is uh, during John's day, the one who's still in power uh, over Jerusalem and Babylon under the Roman Empire. And this is General Titus who conquered Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and ruled over Babylon when he ascended to, the, as to be the emperor of Rome. Following Titus, the Roman Empire and its remnants continued to exert control over both cities off and on until 1923. Now, the seventh king is the one who has not yet come but when he does, will only remain for a little while. This is the man who rises to power during the tribulation period, known as the Antichrist. But this reference to him as the seventh king is only for a little while, leading to uh, leading up to his death. After his resurrection and he becomes the beast, where he is empowered by Satan, he becomes the eighth king mentioned in the next verse. Verse 11, the beast, was one, the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. This verse clarifies that the seventh king and the eighth king are the same person, so to speak, being the Antichrist, but it separates his rule uh, into two kings because the Antichrist who was before his death 
will be a smooth-talking problem-solver that the world is moved by and will follow, a statesman or politician that will rise up in the new world order and take the lead. But the eighth king references him after his death and resurrection as he's resurrected as the beast in which his rule will be vicious and wildly destructive. Okay, here verse 11 lets you know that the earlier description of the beast who was and now is not and yet will come is in fact the eighth king who will be the Antichrist after he is empowered by Satan and healed of his fatal wound. Furthermore, it says that he belongs to the seven. He is part of the seven kings that have ruled over Jerusalem and Babylon because he is the seventh king reborn, so to speak. Verse 12, the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. These are the ten rulers or governors that will be established during the beginning of the tribulation period. The same ten that Daniel saw in his vision of the ten horns, um, of which three are subdued and the eleventh horn, horn that came up subdued those three. It, it's, these are the same people that Daniel was talking about. But these ten are like kings who have no kingdom yet. That means they are world rulers or governors that have, you know, likely have equal power and authority like a governing body. And they're just all on that uh, body. They're all part of that governing body. And, you know, and don't actually have power like a king over any area but they rule together. Um, but for one hour, a short time, they will become like kings and will rule, will rule under the authority of the beast or Antichrist, who, who will be the supreme ruler of the world during the last three and a half years. But those ten horns sit upon the beast, as John describes here. So they belong to him. But in their areas, nations or kingdoms, wherever they're at, they will rule with the power of a king. But, of course, it will be under his authority. Verse 13 through 14 clarifies that the purpose for letting them have power or have that power, you know, is that, um, oh, I'll just read it. It says, they have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. Okay. So they will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings. And with him, he will uh, with and with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. They are given power over the over their areas so that they can ultimately use that collective power to gather all the nations of the world to come together under the power and authority of the beast in order to wage war against the Lamb of God who will have his faithful followers with him. This is twofold, referring to the war that the dragon or devil wages against God's people, uh, which was referenced in Revelation twelve seventeen, When the dragon was enraged, you know, he, it says that he was enraged by the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast to their testimony about Jesus. But it also speaks of Armageddon when the nations of the world and their armies will gather to destroy God's people and face the Lamb in the final battle. But the good news is that um, we will be with Jesus and he will triumph over them as the King of Kings. We will bear witness to the awesome power of our Savior as he shows the world that he is the King above all kings and the enemy's time will come to an end. Verse 15, just Verse 15 just tells us that the waters that John saw, 
that the woman or the harlot of Babylon was sitting by at the beginning of this chapter represents all the people and nations of the world. It is symbolic of how far and wide the corruption and wickedness of Babylon has spread throughout the years. Verse 16, the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. Remember, the woman or prostitute is the mother of all false religions throughout history and is seen sitting by many waters, meaning those, those false religions are spread out all over the world. And of course, they don't kill her. She doesn't exist. She is, is a metaphor of that spirit uh, of rebellion, so to speak, that has spread all over the world. But the beast, when he comes to power along with the ten kings under him, they will destroy all of those false religions. This is what it means by how they will attack her and they'll hate her. They'll hate all the false religions that was created under under her. So they will destroy all of those religions and bring their places of worship to ruin, burning them to the ground and destroying anything that doesn't support the one world, one world religion of the Antichrist. They will pillage those temples, churches, and mosques and places of worship, and they will leave them bare and naked, taking any food or supplies along with anything of value with them, and they will burn it down. The beasts will then consolidate all of that wickedness, everything that that all those false religions were, and it will be consolidated into the one world religion that worships the beast and the dragon, which is the Antichrist and the devil. That is why she is described riding the beast and not sitting by the waters anymore. The woman or spirit of Babylon is no longer spread out over many false religions or pagan worship. It is all wrapped up in one religion focused on worshiping the beast and the dragon. The beast alone now carries the essence of the harlot of Babylon. Verse 17 says that it was all God's plan Basically, it just says that it was all God's plan for the ten kings to come to power and surrender their authority to the to the beast until God's word words are fulfilled, which means they will come to power momentarily as kings by the mid-tribulation point, but will, will surrender their authority to the Antichrist once he becomes the beast and will serve under his rule until God's word is fulfilled with the return of Christ. Verse 18 closes with saying that the woman is great, is the great city, or, or basically she represents the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. This is saying that the woman represents the spirit or essence of Babylon that the devil has used for thousands of years to manipulate and control nations and kingdoms and how we have allowed the spirit of Babylon to corrupt um, you know, even our nation, you know, our nations and people. You know, uh, the, the spirit of Babylon has corrupted our nations and people and led them away from God. That's happened all throughout you know, history, and it's still happening today. Just look at how far this nation, the U.S., has drifted from God and ultimately rejected God and his ways. We can see the evidence of the woman John describes here and her influence right here in our own backyard. The spirit of Babylon has, con- has corrupted this country as it did many others. And the fact, the fact is very evident in our society and government today. We must uh, now more than ever stand on the truth of God's word and declare it boldly and unashamed and be unashamed and confront the harlot of Babylon wherever we can. We may not be able to control everything, but we can fight back in the name of the Lord. Okay, guys, that is it for chapter 17. I hope things are making more sense. Don't forget to tune in tomorrow as we move on to chapter 18 uh, and we talk about the fall of Babylon. 
Now, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for all that you do uh, and for your word. God, the spirit of Babylon has been destroying nations for so long, but when we read about it in history, it doesn't hit home because it's history. But that same spirit of rebellion and rejection of you, God, in your ways, that same spirit of Babylon that leads nations and people away from you and into idol worship and sexual immorality and every other vile practice that stands in opposition to you is prevalent in this country as it is in many others. But God, it hits home when I look around and see the state of this great nation and look at its moral decay and how, and how this nation has turned on you over the years and has followed the harlot of Babylon instead of you, the Most High God. Give, us your, give your people, Lord, strength and courage to stand for the truth, regardless of whether it offends those who hear it or not. Let us not value our associations with others, you know, our possessions, reputations, positions, or status so much that we hold back the truth because we don't want to offend anyone or be canceled. This is the weapon that the harlot wields to cause believers to shrink back and not speak out. But God, we have a stronger weapon, and his name is Jesus, and he has overcome the world. Equip us, Lord, with the power of your word and the sword of the Spirit, and let, and let us take a stand against Babylon and be that mountain that can't be moved. Amen.